Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, what's up? I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, the host of The Bay. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts with an S. From KQED. When Lil Milagro Henriquez cooked up this idea to teach students of color in her community about climate change, naming the program was a bit of a struggle. And so when I was in, originally inviting youth, it was like, hey, come to my, uh, I forget, it was like something like climate adaptation group. And they're like, Miss Lil, that's a horrible name. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> that's all I have right now. Then one day she got put on to an underground network of mushrooms and trees known as the Mycelium Network, the World Wide Web of the Natural World, which knows when other trees in the system need nutrients. And then it clicked. I thought that that would be like the most beautiful thing to have youth connected in this whole underground system. Uh, that would be really responsive to what youth were wanting and needing at the time. Enriquez started the Mycelium Youth Network after the 2017 wildfires in California. And since then, it's brought to life indigenous ways of interacting with the earth to hundreds of black and brown students. Today, the educators who are empowering youth to combat climate change right now. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Welcome to the Bay. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. I'm Lil Milagro Enriquez. I am the founder and executive director of Mycelium Youth Network. And my, my preferred pronouns are she, her. My name's Phoenix Armenta. My pronouns are they, them. I'm a climate justice educator at the Mycelium Youth Network. I am going to start with a, kind of a, a personal question for the both of you. Maybe, Phoenix, if you want to start out. When did you first start thinking about climate change, climate justice and resiliency? Was this mindset kind of always part of your life? For me, it started out in college. My senior year, I was studying anthropology and my professor introduced me to the field of environmental justice. 
And in there, I learned that, you know, African-Americans, regardless of income, are more likely to be sitting next to toxic sites, that, you know, communities of color are more likely to bear the burden of capitalism and the pollution that we've been putting into the the air. And uh, that really compelled me to really get involved deeply in this. And then I ended up going to uh, Hiroshima, Japan and living in Hiroshima for six years. And that got me involved in the anti-nuclear movement. Uh, And then I I got my grad degree in energy and resources and started working in the environmental justice field. For me personally, I remember being deeply politicized by Katrina. And I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. And until I was about a junior in college, and I saw what happened with like my father and my aunts and my uncle and my cousins like with Katrina. And it was like during Katrina where like it really hit at a visceral level that governments like fundamentally do not care about poor people of color. Cities and towns in the area remain underwater, an estimated one million people across the region are without clean drinking water or electricity. Some residents who climbed on top of roofs to escape the rising... Like, to this day, when I go visit my dad in New Orleans, like, the streets are horrible. Like, there's still those, like, marks with the circle and the X, and it's like, here's, like, the day that... FEMA was able to see if people were alive in this house. Here's how many people died. Here's when they were able to move people out, um, like after they had passed. And it was really Katrina that like made me realize that. But like if I think about it and on like a larger level, ancestrally, uh, climate change has been a part of like my family's story because my mom is from El Salvador, Cuzatlan, and which is deforested from 98% of old growth forest. That's climate change. So I think about it like that and I think about it with my dad on my dad's side from uh, Bluefields, Nicaragua where like so like he had to leave Bluefields Nicaragua because like so much of like the ports had been like drying up or there was like toxic pollution and there was no way of life. So when I think about it personally, I think New Orleans. When I think about it ancestrally, like I see like my mother and my father's lands and the ways they've already been impacted and are continuing to be impacted by climate change. Lil Milagro and Phoenix eventually came to the Bay Area. Phoenix was an advocate on homelessness issues, and Lil Milagro was working at a school in Oakland. For Lil Milagro, the tipping point that led her to starting Mycelium came in 2017. You know, in the forest fires that were happening, like the, I think it was like the Tubbs fires at the time, uh, and I was the director of organizing at a school, Roses and Concrete, and I remembered that it was really fascinating, but in like a bad way, the way that... You know, it was the idea that, like, here's a forest fire. And at the time, 2017, it felt like, this is huge. This is, like, horrible. We need to be able to move on this. And, you know, like, teachers are like, yes, yes, yes. And, like, just just put on a mask and go to the bathroom, and then we're going to keep teaching. Yeah, you have a headache or your nose is bleeding because of the forest fires. Just, like, you know, put a little toilet paper in it, and we're going to keep teaching. And it was, in many ways, like, teaching through the trauma. And I remember breastfeeding my daughter and being like 
this is unsustainable. There's like absolutely no way we can continue to pretend that the world is not like radically shifting uh, and we need to shift with it if we are going to actually remain true to our children and our children's children and the children that we're teaching. And so like that for me, the Tubbs fires was like that other moment of like resonance where I was like, my daughter's growing up in this. We can't just put on a mask and keep teaching through the trauma. And at, at a certain point, like the, the narrative needs to shift. You know, like when we think about education and when we think about like what education is for, which is meant to be this like platform to like teach young people how they want to be as adults, how they like what careers do they want. Uh, everything is like still like very much like and we're going to continue and like we may give you an education on how um, climate change is happening in your world but in terms of surviving in terms of actually like recognizing what it is going to mean like the forest fires are in california are like the beginning of what we will see across the entire country if we do not massively mobilize very 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 soon to stop it what started out as a concern and worry quickly developed into something concrete Lil Milagro created a club for fifth graders at her school to learn practical skills to be disaster ready. And that evolved into a much larger group of students and teachers, the Mycelium Youth Network. Phoenix, can you explain how the program works now? What are the ages of the students and what happens in the classroom? I've taught as young as third grade and going up all the way through high school. Um, over the summer, we actually had summer summer courses that we offered to, to youth. So like I taught an herbalism class and an eco-entrepreneurship class. And those were just like six-week courses uh, that the youth could join in and specialize in a, in a, a particular subject matter. But now that the year has started, uh, the main focus that I'm teaching is going to be the Clean Air is a Right curriculum. Today we're going to learn how to make this DIY air filter. It's super simple. Uh, we are also going to go through like a couple of herbs that you can bring into your life that's going to help protect you and keep your lungs healthy and clean. It's a really impactful curriculum because we're talking about air quality. We're talking about different ways to think about air quality, but we also talk about indoor air quality. We talk, talk about toxic chemicals that are in the home and ways that you can replace them. This is eucalyptus, and eucalyptus is very closely associated with uh, lung health. And that's really, once you crush it and break it up is when you start to get the oils out. And then you just put it on, on a pot on the stove and you can like breathe in over the pot. You know, there's a whole section on uh, different medicines and tinctures and teas that uh, young people can use for their lung health walk out your door and there's some herbs on the street and a lot of times the plants that are out there on the street are the plants that are there to heal you. Uh, and in the end we teach them how to be climate activists, like how to take, take what they've learned and actually turn it into like videos that they can share, how can they talk to the, the power brokers, how can they feel like they actually have power in the system to make changes. Today, Mycelium has grown a lot bigger. It now serves about a thousand students. There's even a virtual conference in a couple of months. And for them, this work is about a lot more than teaching kids how to cope with climate change. 
It's about trying to rethink our society's relationship to nature itself. Pre-colonization, like we have survived generations upon generations upon generations with the understanding that we are in relationship to our entire ecosystem and we are only one small part of our entire ecosystem. And so this idea that like plants are our relatives, that we need to be in direct communication and conversation with our world is one that like, for me is like fundamental to like what we try to do at Mycelium and what we, and like how we need to support young people to think about fundamentally how they are in relationship to our whole world. These communities actually have the knowledge that will save us. And unless we prioritize that, unless we say that, yes, this is actually what is important. And what we have to offer is also important. But what we need to do is develop a sustainable relationship to land, which which like our black and brown communities have. And do you find that like, is it ever hard um, to teach these things? Because we're talking really about like a fundamental shift, at least in our current society and how we operate. I, it's it's hard because it's a hard subject you know it's it's very emotional like you, you have to give a lot of space to the students like you know I come in and I give at the first class I give them a bunch of stats and the stats are a lot of times about how you know African Americans have higher rates of asthma or you know how, how we have higher rates of pollution in our community or like you know like when I went to Castlemont I was showing them uh, like some of the environmental indicators around their uh, their school and showing them that they live in some of the most polluted communities in all of Oakland. And like, how does that sit with a person to say like, you know, you 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 are living in, in, a, in a toxic environment. And then and then also the the understanding that that didn't happen on accident, that that's the result of years of planning, of discrimination of inequitable policies that have borne down on your community. So yeah, I mean, it can be very emotional and 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 quite a process to get through to learn about these kind of issues. Also, I think that like one of the things that like we're really thinking through at Mycelium is like, how do we then build in social emotional support for students, right? I think that it's it's already hard to talk to students about things that they recognize and they see at the same time, it's much easier to talk to students and actually be vocal and transparent about what they're seeing because they they know, right? Like youth know at a fundamental level. Like I have a an eight year old and a four year old, and like they know that like we live super close to the eight eighty, and they know what that means uh, because they hear it every single time we go outside, or they breathe it every single time they go outside. Um, they see it in their classmates' lungs and the way that they cough, and. Our biggest focus, like since post COVID, has been not just like how do we make sure we're hitting like NGSS standards and how do we make sure like we're doing all the things we're supposed to be doing, but it's also very much like we put that to the side to also say like what does it mean for us to connect with our students who are already going through a pandemic, who are already experiencing like massive trauma um, from like social emotional factors beyond their control, legacies of gentrification legacies of you know environmental justice violence or whatever and then like how do we hold that and then also just like say things are hard right now uh and so one of the things i always appreciate about phoenix's class is like that consistent grounding if we are just telling you your statistics and facts around your neighborhood without any of that grounding it doesn't help 
right? And so, like, in what ways are we also trying to bring in that healing and support? How has the classroom changed, like, with this pandemic, but obviously also with these wildfires and with the smoke? Like, when uh, COVID hit, like, we were in a really interesting position where we had all this programming lined up and all of our programming is very like interactive. Everything is meant to be hands-on. It's meant to like be very tactile, but like within like two weeks after COVID hit, uh, we started to like rally and say like, Hey, like what do youth want? And we uh, reached out to the youth that we knew in our network. And we said like, what did you want? What do you want right now? And the biggest responses that youth wanted were that they wanted social emotional support, they wanted educational but not academic classes, and they wanted wisdom from either indigenous or like elder wisdom. And then one of the other things that like we're learning through Zoom um, or like through the like this experience is like youth want to be able to play together. And whether that's like youth from third grade through high school, they're like, how do we play together? One of our actually most popular classes through our summer programming and currently is like our Dungeons and Dragons class, which like sounds slightly ridiculous, but like I'm a a big D&D head and it's like such a safe way for youth to be able to talk about environmental justice issues because that's what we talk about, right? Like every adventure is environmental justice focused and they're able to like safely explore how to solve an issue. Phoenix, we talked about developing emotional resilience strategies to help students really cope with the trauma of climate change. Why is that so important right now? Like, you just think about what's going on right now, like the, the, the sort of things that we have had to endure as a community with a pandemic, with the wildfires, you know, this, this is unprecedented. I saw the sky turn red for the first time last week, and it, 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 it brings up the feels. It brings up a lot of emotions, and, uh, and like, yeah, we, we have to, like, learn how to feel through this, you know? Like, we're going to have to really be in touch with our emotions and, like, in touch with our, ourselves as our community, supporting each other. Uh, and, yeah, and then also just in terms of resilience, you know, right now, like, I often say, like, resilience is sort of a, the language that people use to say, like, oh, we've gone past the point of no return, you know, and now we have to kind of buckle down and uh, endure what has been going through. And But there's sort of the other thing of, like, let, let's endure what's going through, but come out stronger on the other end. And so I think that what we're trying to teach is, like, how, how do you not just make it through this, but how do you build strength as you're going through it? climate change you can feel like powerless but I think that the mycelium curriculum is really set up to give the students power to be able to take power back in their life immediately you know like if if we're going into the clean areas are right and we're talking to them about like the toxic chemicals in their household that's an easy thing that they can do is kind of like identifying the toxic chemicals finding alternatives and then pressuring their parents to replace those chemicals in the household Lil Milagro, what do you feel like you've learned since 2017 when you started this, in part after 
the Tubbs fire and we were already, you were already seriously thinking about climate change then. What have you learned since? All, like I said, like so much of my psyllium curriculum was like built out of my anxiety. And I also see the ways in which like youth completely blow that out of the water. And they're like, actually, no, what about this? Or what about this? Or what about this? And I think that's a product of them both being younger and so less indoctrinated to our current system. And I respect that. But then also them just being like incredibly visionary and incredibly creative. And I think about youth as being hopeful because they consistently push against the systems. And then I also think like, okay, so then what is my responsibility as an adult person to support that out of the box thinking um, that is visionary and creative? One way Mycelium Youth Network is trying to support out of the box thinking is by hosting an Afro-Indigenous virtual adventure this November. It's meant to be a space for youth and adults to freedom dream of a future where Black and Indigenous people of color are adapting and thriving in a climate-challenged world. Lil Milagro Henriquez is the founder and executive director of the Mycelium Youth Network. Phoenix Armenta is an educator. We'll leave a link to the Apocalyptic Resilience Conference in our episode notes. This episode of The Bay was produced by Marisol Medina Cadena and Alan Montecilio. We're made at your public radio station, KQED. Also, I wanted to thank those who've already taken our KQED podcast survey. And if you haven't already told us what you love about KQED podcasts and how we can give you more of what you want, please take just 10 minutes and fill it out. Go online to kqed.org slash podcast survey. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Have a safe weekend. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.